0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Potter's House, the podcast where we discuss how biblical topics, church life, and current events impact our everyday lives. My name is Marcus Ionescu, and I am your host, and today we're joined by a very, very special guest, uh, Mr. Michael Gennatuk. Michael, how's it going, man?
1: Better than I deserve, man. Better than I deserve.
0: Now I'm going to correct myself, because... I don't think I've ever called you Michael. We started with Mike, and then when we when we became closer friends, we're gonna we, we we reverted to the the Russian version, which which is Misha. So from now on, I will refer to you as Misha on this episode, just so the the non-Russian uh, listeners to this episode won't get too confused. Um, but I'm glad you're doing well, Misha. Thanks for being on here. I know this was uh, kind of last minute, but I think this episode is not only really important but really beneficial to. Whoever whoever's listening, and uh, we'll definitely get into that, and uh, we'll definitely talk about that uh, going uh, further along this episode. But before we get into anything, uh, I just want to make a couple of announcements. Um, first is a very very important announcement, and um, right now we're in we're in April. This April this episode is being released in April, uh, and the plan is as far as right now is to finish up the second season. Of recording and recording and releasing episodes on a weekly basis to finish it up, uh, the last Wednesday of the month of May, so May 26th, uh, to wrap up the season and then go into that summer break that I have been so longing for <laughs> these last few months. So uh, that's the plan. May 26th is going to be the last episode of this current spring season, and um, the plan for now is to have a an extensive break uh, in the summer and then come back releasing weekly episodes, uh, the Wednesday after Labor Day. So I know what you're saying. I know what you're thinking. Three months is a very long time. To to be honest, I can't picture myself not recording for three months. So, uh, I won't be silent for those, for, for those summer months. I'll definitely, uh, kind of re-promote certain episodes in the past, maybe release a few things here and there. But as far as the, the weekly episode release goes, uh, we'll be taking that summer off just to kind of refresh, take a break, um, record a bunch of stuff, work on a bunch of stuff, plan a bunch bunch of stuff. So uh, that's, what, that's what's going to happen. And then I also have other things planned as well that uh, just go hand in hand with the podcast. So thank you guys for the support. Uh, up until now, we're almost at one uh, full calendar year, and I'm, I'm really excited. And I'm really grateful for everything you guys have uh, done and said uh, regarding the podcast. So thank you guys so much for that. And I'm um, looking forward to the future. So uh, summer months, we'll be taking a break. Uh, we'll be traveling. We'll be uh, doing things. I'll probably see you guys at certain meetups, and uh, feel free to say hi. Uh, you know, I don't bite. Uh, I'm I mean, maybe I'm not as friendly as I am in, uh, on the podcast than in real life. But it'd be nice to see you guys and uh, to reconnect with you guys. So thank you guys so much for that. So that's that. Uh, and next we have our usual announcements, which is. Uh, You can follow us on our Instagram for any and all updates at The Potter's House, and you can also listen to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a few other podcast platforms. If you do have an iPhone, please scroll to that uh, purple icon, the Apple Podcast icon. Scroll down, and then tap the stars. It really helps with the exposure of the show, and if you want to leave a written review, I will read those out loud as well. So, For those of you who have already done that, thank you so much. For those of you who haven't, please do so. I'd really, really appreciate it. So thank you, guys. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for the announcements. Let's get back to the episode at hand. So, uh, Misha, before we jump into things, before we introduce the topic, um, for those people who don't know you out there, uh, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, so uh, my name is Michael, or Misha, as you you call it. It's also a nickname. I've been named many... Different nicknames in my life, Uh, but (laughs) Misha is one that one that I like. Uh, Yeah, so I uh, I'm from Chicago. Uh, I go to a small uh, Russian-speaking church here in Chicago, the South suburbs, and um, our church is kind of composed of many different nationalities and cultures of the former Soviet Union. Uh, So Russian is kind of our uh, common common uh, language, even though. Technically, my heritage is Ukraine, uh, where m- both my parents come from. Uh, but yeah, um, uh, I serve in a couple of different uh, areas uh, in the church. Uh, I'm part of the finance team uh, at my church. I also uh, assist in the sound ministry and department, uh, kind of helping control sound or, you know, doing stuff like that. And uh, I'm also involved in the preaching uh, schedule or ministry at, uh, on a regular basis here at my church.
0: And uh, you mentioned that, obviously, you go to a, a Russian church up there in Chicago, and mm-hmm. um, your family background is from the Ukraine, and that's kind of what we're going to address today. So, um, not too long ago, you uh, released this translated autobiography written by your great-grandfather, uh, Luke Stepanyuk. Is, is that correct? Did I, did I did I not butcher it? Perfect. Step- okay. Stepanyuk, yeah. There we go. Sweet. And... Um, I know you, you mentioned this uh, a few months prior that you're working on this, and then uh, I think a, a few weeks ago, you first released it. You kind of distributed it to a few people who reached out to you, and um, I remember a few days ago, I was on page three, and I, I immediately texted you. I'm like, bro, do you want to record this episode about this? Because it was it was just insane how how, how great this autobiography was. It was amazing to see how God worked in his life right off that first page. And uh, that's what kind of brings us here now. Uh, we're gonna tell the story of your great grandfather uh, because I think uh, it's really beneficial for everyone to hear out there. It's very encouraging, and it's just it's it's just so crazy to think that we live in such a privileged world right now. And our our forefathers, whether you come from Romania or or your your forefathers come from the Soviet Union, they endured so much and had so much faith in those in those trials and those tribulations. And uh, without them, without their faith, we w- we wouldn't be here today. So I, I do want to talk about that, um, about the story of your great grandfather, to kind of just reiterate certain certain aspects of his life that really had a lasting impact, not only in, in your guys's life, but in in uh, the Christian community uh, we have today. So uh, before we jump into that, uh, why don't you talk about a little bit about the whole concept of translating it? Uh, what when you had the idea? Uh, what steps or what help you use to, to get to that point. Uh, but why don't you talk a little bit about how you came across it and when you wanted to translate this autobiography? Yeah.
1: Uh, first I want to say, thanks for having me on, man. It's, it's, it's a great privilege and to be able to, to use all sorts of media uh, outlets and avenues in order to spread the good news and the gospel to, uh, to believers and non-believer, non-believers absolutely. for that matter. That's absolutely vital. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, honestly, I kind of had the same exact reaction that you had when I first heard the story in the native language of Russian. Um, It was first, actually, I first heard this story when I was on a road trip going to Atlanta. So I was going to my uh, uncle's house and uh, some other family members that live in Atlanta. And uh, my family here decided to go on a road trip uh, for... Um, Christmas and you know as Chicago from Atlanta it's a little bit of a drive about 10 12 hours depending on how fast you can drive Um, you know you kind of try to occupy yourself with uh, some things you can only be on your phone for so long you know until you get kind of a (laughs) headache and so I didn't know this but my uh, my mom had brought along the the copy uh, in in the Russian language and she just started to read it and I was so captivated by it and as you know it's it's not a long book you know it's 50 pages max you know so um it took us a couple hours but it, i honestly had the same exact reaction uh from page five i was like this this story is what it, it's what needs to be shared um to kind of give you a different aspect of people who lived in a different life you know because we, we live in a society where we're kind of sheltered, we're kind of bubbled, you know, we kind of, we're kind of quote unquote comfortable. Um, and there's so many people who had different experiences. And I know like my background, and your background, you know, our countries uh, where we're from experienced communism. And we, we kind of just say that we kind of just say, oh, you know, they live in communism. But there are so many stories out there of how God just, just worked wonderfully and miraculously of today we think can god really work like this um so that was really my motivation to translate the story and honestly by the end of the book um, when my mom had read the end of it a, a thought just kind of sparked to my mind i'm like i i have to translate this i i gotta get this in the english language i have to share this with people that i know with my friends um I've I've given it to non-believers as well too, hoping that it would edify them. Uh, but that's really where my motivation came. So as soon as New Year's uh, hit, right after New Year's, after I saw you in uh, Arizona, actually, uh, that kind of when it went when it went into a full throttle, and uh, it 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 was difficult. It was tough. I, I give I I can relate to people who do that. Um, uh, there's another person I know that translates stories as well. And it's very difficult, uh, especially from a, a language like Russian, which is a Cyrillic language uh, that's like Greek based uh, into English, which is kind of like a form of or a mix of Latin and Greek. Um, and it was, it, was, it was tough, but uh, I, I used a lot of different resources. Honestly, I used uh, probably about four or five different translation um, websites and I also have a dictionary with me, uh, but you also have to know the language in order to understand the context. You know, you can't just you can't just translate one sentence at a time. You know, it's gotta be a paragraph or a page to kind of get the overall picture. And there's a lot of uh, context that needs to be included that if you don't or don't understand it, it won't really uh, translate or uh, translate the story or the meaning uh, of what is being said. Um, so yeah uh pretty much every day after work um uh, for a couple hours sometimes i go to sleep at like 2 a.m after a long day of work uh I'd just be busy typing and translating about six hours after work and i'd get through maybe a page you know some some days it'd be three pages some days it'd be only a couple of paragraphs you know um depending on you know how much i needed to translate uh, i also did have some help from my mom uh, as well who read the story but uh, is also related to my great-grandfather so basically that's her grandpa so it's from her side uh, so she knew a lot of the the background story and kind of context of uh, the things as as I said the uh, he was born in 1909 so this is at the turn of the you know the 20th century and culture was a little bit different uh, back then so uh, she kind of helped uh, shed some light on certain things that they did, or uh, certain uh, things that were common in their way of life that is not common uh, anymore. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much the the inception of uh, where I get this idea or how I started.
0: And uh, what's interesting about the with about this uh, this this autobiography is that you went with uh, a literal translation as opposed to a dynamic translation. Basically, a word for word, as opposed to a thought for thought. And for those of you who don't really understand what that means, is uh, if you ever read the either the New King James or the ESV, uh, sometimes when you're reading, you it kind of doesn't make sense to you because the the words are placed in, in a in a weird order, uh, and that's because it's it's translated from the Greek or Hebrew, uh, which depending on which testament you're reading, uh, word for word. So just to keep it as 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 correct and accurate as can be. Uh, but if you read a dynamic translation, it's typically thought for thought, and that's when it kind of flows better in English. But if you read this autobiography, it is a literal translation because some of the some of the phrasing is is a little different in English, but it obviously makes more sense when it's translated to Russian. But, uh, but. Regardless, nonetheless, I mean, I thought that was super interesting, and it, and it really kind of brought the value and the meaning of what was being said and in, in, in the story uh, to life. So, um, yeah, th- I found that super interesting, and I I I thoroughly enjoyed it. But uh, Misha, let's let's get get on and uh, get started with with this uh, autobiography, the story of your grandfather, uh, your great grandfather. Uh, let's start from the beginning. Uh, I'm gonna kind of give you the reins here to kind of start telling the story. Uh, But I do want to start about the beginning, his early life, uh, the early struggles. Um, We're going to get through this episode and you're going to see that he struggled a lot through his life, but in every season of his life, God was always there right beside him and guiding him and delivering him from, from everything. So uh, let's, let's go ahead and get started with the beginning.
1: Yeah. So if you don't mind, actually some, I'll read like a couple of sentences here and there just to kind of give a, I give it more meaning and context. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Just from the start, uh, he actually, you know, this is the first couple of sentences. He starts with the goodness of the Lord guides his children, the ones who trust in his mercy. And I learned this at a very young age uh, because I was left or I was an orphan at 11 years old. I experienced many sorrows and tears in my life, but I never forgot the good admonition from my father. And that is, that's kind of like the start of his life um, or in, in any of our Christian life, uh, being raised with a solid foundation. And I learned that through what he uh, experienced was always uh, planted uh, in that foundation that was that was seeded in him at a young life. Uh, so he was an orphan or he was orphaned about uh, 12 or 13 years old um he had uh his mother and three sisters actually passed away in the same exact week so his mother and sister one of his sisters actually died in the same exact day so the mother died in uh her sister died in the morning and uh his mother passed away in the evening and they were buried in the same um grave uh grave spot or coffin uh, so to speak and for, for for us that may have experienced uh, death of a loved one um, I know some people who have personally and it's a difficult thing uh, but losing four members of your family in one week I mean that that that's just heartbreaking you know and well, when I when I heard it or read it for the first time I, I could almost feel the sorrow in his words that he that he wrote mm-hmm. um, but yeah, Uh, He goes on, and a couple of years later, his uh, father actually dies as well. Um, They all had typhoid fever, uh, and that was kind of more of a common thing back then because the medicine was not as advanced as it is today. Um, But before his father died, he blessed him, and he said these words. Uh, He said, son, I'll go to the Lord soon. You will live, and I give the responsibility of the entire household on you. and he prophesies right here he says there's going to be a great famine in 1933 and he says there's going to be corpses on the streets like sheaves of wheat behind harvesters but you're going to remain alive and the mercy of the lord will be on you and you're going to accept the service in the church of christ he prayed the lord's prayer and with that he gave god his spirit i mean what an awesome what what a wonderful way to end
0: your life you know And it's crazy because so this is this all happened in 1920. And his father, his father passed away like after, obviously, after his sisters and his mother did. Mm -hmm. Um, And in 1920, he prophesied a great famine in the land that would happen 13 years later. And at the end of his prophecy, like you said, he he basically said that you you will, God will be by your side. You like, you will endure it, you will get through this. Mm -hmm. But in 1933, there'll be a famine. But I, I just thought that was, that was so crazy how obviously when you're, when you're so. Um, engulfed in sorrow and grief with losing you know in a matter within a year losing five members of your family uh and i think it was all three he was 11 or 12 at the time it was all three of his sisters were younger than him i, I believe if i'm not if i'm not mistaken yeah so three he was, like he was small a children one. three small children both parents and now as a 12 year old 11 year old he is according to his father <laughs> in charge of, of of guiding his family and i, I, I just i can't imagine that. I can't imagine that now at 24, let alone imagine that someone who is half my age. I like, I, I, I don't know. I, I just cannot, I am bewildered by it, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 it's hard to imagine that, you know, at this age 24, you know, um, some people definitely should not have a family at this age, but you know, <laughs> other people do, do a pretty good job. But I mean, yeah, at that age, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe going through something like that. Um, But yeah so after his uh after his parents and siblings uh passed away um he kind of went to live with his uncle and his uncle was uh he was a hard man he was not as kind as his as his father um as his father's brother and uh he made him do a lot of work around the house uh made him labor a lot struggle uh and that's understandable because at that age you're kind of figuring out okay i have this basis uh, a foundation of faith that my parents to me about what like, this incredible sorrow, this this unimaginable pain has come into my life. Um it may cause people to to fall away from the faith at that at that age. Um but as we as we read earlier or read later, um there are things that happen that really uh that God really propelled them uh in service and ministry and uh in a spiritual life. Um he says, at various times, I felt a hunger for my sick soul, and I found the gospel that my father had left and began to read it. And that also talks about the, the seeds of, of faith that was planted in, in, in his life. Um, but I want to talk about his first uh, spiritual experience. Uh, he had a few that he talks about in his life. But the first one is after the Feast of the Holy Trinity, which takes place a week after uh, the Pentecost. And he said he entered his room, and he remembered how his father prayed with him. And he asked the Lord. He's good. He says, "God, I want to pray the way that my father prayed. Please teach me how to pray." And he prayed with open eyes. Um, in that uh, town or in that area, actually, uh, as a little bit of pretext, uh, Pentecostalism had had not been um, had not come about at that point, right? So this is the 1920s. So uh, they were, they had reformed theology and, you know, I believe that they were Baptists at that point. So he prayed with open eyes because that's kind of how he was taught in their services. So he played, he prayed, and then he saw great radiance, basically light and fiery letters that were shown before him that said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless the Lord. Like, imagine like the way you see like letters written out on like a poster, like, seeing that on fire when you're praying. Uh, And he says that that was his first spiritual experience. Um, He talks about later uh, how he uh, started to get involved with the ministry a little bit. Uh, He went to the church service. And when I say church service, uh, this is more home service, right? So they didn't have like buildings like we did. Most of their churches were, you know, small, you know, less than 50 people max. Uh, and it was usually taking place in someone's house. Um, so when they went to their church service, um, some of the brothers uh, of that, uh, of his church, uh, accepted, uh, accepted him into the service and, um, uh, he began to go to service regularly and, uh, start to increase his, his, his spiritual walk with the Lord. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah. So uh, later on, he talks about um, later how his younger brother also becomes ill and went to be with the Lord. Um, and the, the believers came together for the funeral. And he wants uh, one of the ministers went to the, the pastor and said, hey, um, this young man uh, passed away and we have to do a funeral service for his family. You know, because we know these people. And the minister says this, he says, an orphan has died. And few people know what it means to be an orphan. We're all guilty because we did not visit him when he was sick. And at the funeral, uh, he said, we are guilty that we did not visit this house and their are orphans. Uh, who washed them? Who cooked for them? Who comforted them? Who, they were probably hungry many times, but none of us was bothered to see if they had food. And to me, what was the most amazing, amazing, you, you could say, uh, uh, showing uh, from the Lord is that a small cloud appeared over the cemetery and started raining. And the brother said, "This an orphan has died, and there is no one to mourn here. The Lord sent a momentary rainfall instead of tears as a sign of His mourning." And that uh, that that kind of hit me um, personally because there's a lot of things that we don't see of people around us every day. You know, we see their face, we see them smile. But on the inside, at their homes, they could be struggling. They could be they could be in such a deep depression. And those words that said, "We are guilty because we did not visit him when he was sick. We didn't clothe him." And that kind of goes to the, uh, the 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 story that Jesus talks about in Matthew. You know, like, well, and the the rich person says, "Oh Lord, when did I see you naked? Or when did I see you hungry?" He said, "Well, when I was the one, the sick one, or the the one outside, the poor one, the, uh, the homeless one, you didn't clothe me. You didn't feed me. And that was, uh, I think that's a great explanation or a great, uh, tie of those, of those two stories. But I mean, that's a personal we experienced that personally. Um, uh, so he goes, uh, later on and, uh, he starts a family. Um, and <laughs> I, I love this part because, Oh, me too. Me too. Yeah, <laughs> it, it all of us want to get married, right? I mean, that, 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 that's a common thing. You know, it's like some of us get married early on in life, others uh, later on, uh, but eventually, most of us want to get married. And as we know, in the in the old times, they did marriage a little bit differently. Uh, and and this is a, a story of that time. Um, so he had a lot of friends that talked to him and said, "Hey, uh, you know, you get to that age, you're getting to a mature age, which in their eyes were was 17, 18 years old, and they're like." Hey, you need, to, you need to find yourself a helper in life, you know, a.k.a. a wife. And he comes to this one church service. And all of a sudden, there's like this girl that is in front of him, a couple rows. She turns around and looks at him. And there's a voice that's inside his head that says, this is yours. You will be married to her. I mean, first off, I want to say, I, I wish I had something like that revealed to me. I mean, that'd be a great thing. You know, if I just know, hey, that's the person that, that's the person I got to marry.
0: Yeah. And, 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 and another thing I'd like to add on to that is if gentlemen, if you're out there and you're hearing voices about who you're going to marry, um, I would seek some counsel from a pastor first because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, be, be careful with the voices that you hear just cause, uh, uh, that could be uh, a totally different thing. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah you're, just you're, uh,
1: this you're right. You're right. So, so some people go up to you know someone and be like, "Hey, uh, God told me that I need to get married to you," you know, and the and the girl's already married or something like that, you know. So, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've heard yeah, that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: but anyway, uh, he said that he recognized her, and he said that he remembered her because uh, she took water baptism with him a few years prior to that, and so you know he tried to figure out who this girl is and in, in his friend group and like. Okay, does anyone know who this is? And nobody knows who this girl is, right? Um, And so eventually, uh, he's, you know, he prays to God. He says, you know, uh, if this is, you know, who you want from me, um, then, you know, let her come to the friend group and let her have conversations and, you know, talk if this is really what you want. Um, And so they eventually find out where she lives and they kind of invite her to the friend group. Um, Now... He had a dream. He had a dream about her. And basically she goes into this, in, into a house and she says, peace be with you, Brother Luke. I brought you some uh, some grain, uh, some rye grain. So tied up in a scarf, you know, there's that, the grain. She puts it on the table and then she leaves. And then he wakes up from a dream. So he's like, okay, I, I, I got to go tell my brother about this. So he goes, you know, but he, he puts a sign before the Lord. He says, you know, what? I'm not going to start the conversation if my brother asked me about this girl who he he didn't really show interest at this point, but um, it, he was trying to get to know her more. Uh, uh, he said, God, let my brother ask me about her. And then I'll tell her, I'll tell him the dream. And that's kind of like a sign of confirmation. So his, his brother asks him about this girl, be like, Hey, you know, there's this new girl in our group, you know, anything about her, you know, you, you talking to her or interested or whatever. Um, so that was kind of, uh, the confirmation uh, for him. And so they find out where she lives. So he goes and has some meeting with her and talks to her. And before the meeting, you know there there was some conversations where they're like, "Hey, are you looking to get married? Yeah, I'm looking to get married too. And then so they agreed that they should get married and two weeks later they got married in, <laughs> in the month of August in nineteen twenty six. So it's like, it's like, hey, straight to the point, you know, two weeks later, you get to you, you be a person, you get to know him, two weeks later, that's it, it's a dumb deal.
0: Yeah, that's some 19th century marriage right there, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's, that's, uh, I, I've heard of like crazy, like super fast weddings, you know, in our time, but I don't think, two weeks, Uh, like, so yeah we should get, I should get married. You should get married. Yeah, sure. Let's get married. And yeah. then two weeks later, it all happens, but uh, simpler times, definitely, yeah. definitely simpler times. It's much more complicated nowadays as, as you and I can uh, definitely attest to, but <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, and, and as a side note, I do want to add a story that's not really related to this, but uh, uh, in, my, in my dad's village. So uh, where he used to live, uh, this was prior to him. This is not how he got married, but in his village, how they usually did it is, uh they would have all the guys of age line up on one side of the uh, a field and all the women who were of age on the other side of the field. And I kid you not, there's a guy with a gun and he shoots the gun. As soon as he shoots it, all the men run across the field and basically they pick their wives. So, so <laughs> if you, if, if you were a fast runner, man, you usually got the first pick, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of like a comedic story, but honestly, Usually, the first pick girl. Uh, my dad was telling me this. Usually, the first pick girl was not usually the most or the best wife. It was usually the one who was picked middle or last because uh, she was the one who was like more, uh, more of a of a home uh, builder, you know, taking care of the kids, cooking and cleaning. So uh, most of the time, obviously, guys went for the looks, you know. But uh, looks aren't everything, right? It's true a hundred years ago, and it's true today. So
0: that is that is the most insane <laughs> thing I've ever heard. That's crazy. Man. <laughs> so, hey, uh, at least the slow guys got the good wives. Then. Yeah, That's right. right. <laughs> there you go. Hey, those flat-footed guys.
1: Exactly. Uh, so yeah, moving on. Um, he he talks about the story of how he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, as I mentioned before, in the in, in in their area, Pentecostalism was not a thing at all. You know that nobody had heard of, it, of the, the Holy Spirit. Uh, speaking and moving to people and things but y- you see what's interesting is before he even was baptized quote unquote with the holy spirit he had a spiritual experience or encounter with god so god was already moving uh on his heart he was already nudging him uh, to get him to this point so in 1927 uh some evangelists uh came and visited their church right so there were a couple of evangelists. Uh, And they start to preach. Right. And so the leader uh, of that, their church service uh, straight up and said, uh, this is heresy or we're not, we don't accept this. You know, they were speaking about the Holy spirit and gifts and manifestations and all that. And Mm -hmm. he was like, "Uh, no, we don't accept this. This is not part of our culture. You know, this is, this is something, some sort of fallacy or a heresy. Um, But because of that prior nudging because of that experience that God had placed on his heart, uh, something sparked within him. And he said, "Um, how are these brothers preaching fallacy and heresy when we were just praying and they had the most passionate prayer that I've ever heard in my life. I mean, these, these brothers that are my, in my church, man, they weren't, they weren't praying like this when they prayed, everybody was in such a broken, broken state. And we felt like we were, giving like a huge sacrifice to God. And he said, you know, I, I want to, I want to talk to these guys. I want to meet them. And so, uh, the, the pastor ordered uh, everybody in the church not to accept these brothers, these evangelists, uh, not to take them into their house, not to feed them, not to do anything. And so, uh, he leaves service, uh, but there's another guy who leaves the service before him and invites him into his house, uh, in, into a smaller uh, meeting. And so, uh, Luke goes in to the house, and you know it's a smaller setting. And the brother said, "You heard what this pastor said uh, that we should not greet these brothers or accept them." But I, you know, what, I agree with you because I know the Holy Spirit moves and He works. Not understanding that it had a term that it was Pentecostalism, or even that it was. Um, uh accepting the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit um so what happened they had fellowship uh, they started to pray and at uh, at the service one of the one of the brothers prayed with his w- with his heart he prayed the most passionate prayer and uh, they prayed with their eyes closed and arms stretched towards heaven so they lifted their hands and they prayed with their eyes closed which was a complete you know, Different dynamic than what they were taught to pray with their eyes open and kind of, you know, hands down or just in their typical fashion, right. Um, And so they start to speak in tongues, and this was a new thing for him He says his hair stood up because he didn't understand what this was. Uh, And so he began to lament and cry with joy, and he said that that was his second spiritual uh, experience uh, from the Lord. Uh, he talked to the brothers and said you know talking about his vision he's like this is a visit from the spirit quote unquote. Um, and so moving on um, and and there's a lot of stories that are in between this and uh, like you know I, I wouldn't have time obviously you know to to, to speak about everything but I'm just kind of giving you a little bit of a summary and some nuggets here and there uh, if you want to really know you you know uh, come get the the book and and read all about it, um, but they did have, a, oh, um, this was kind of interesting for me that someone in my lineage uh, was involved in this. So um, on page 13, uh, if you're reading, uh, Brother Ivan Voronayev uh, is probably not really well known among you know the Romanian community, but among the Slavic you know people, Slavic Pentecostal, uh, that's like a household name. Like everybody know who's, who, who is Ivan Vodanaev? And I'm sure Romanians must have the same thing, but uh, I I don't know who it is. Uh, But he was basically the the founder of the Pentecostal movement. Um, I don't remember the exact name, but there was a, an American missionary who came to actually Ukraine and Russia and actually uh, Romania as well, and kind of evangelized uh, to some other people. And through that, that's how the Pentecostal movement uh, got started. And so uh, for me to read that, like, you know, my great-grandpa Luke was involved with the guy who started the Pentecostal movement in pretty much the entire, you know, former Soviet Union, uh, that, was, that, that was super interesting and great for me to, to hear uh, or to read about. Um, so he starts uh, his, his life as a minister. So he, he grows older. He's about 22. He's got a family, uh, already. And, uh, he begins his ministry, uh, in the church. He becomes, uh, you could say some sort of a pastor or, or a leader. Um, and so, uh, at one point he becomes ill, right? Uh, he had really, uh, stomach pains, gastritis, um, and eventually an ulcer. He said that you know he couldn't work, his condition was bad. Uh, he was sick for almost a year. And he said, and, and this is a topic that is reoccurring throughout the entire autobiography. And I, I think it's so vital to, 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 to understand it. Uh, he mentions this a lot of times and it says, it was necessary though for me to go through these trials until the time that was appointed by the Lord. And so many times, and we'll read in other you know, in, in other places too. He says the trial that God gave me, or the trial, or I must go through this because God basically tells me to go through this. And I, I think that's just incredible, not only incredible advice, but how we should live our Christian lives. You know, I, yeah, every,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Ev-
1: everything that happens to us, every small little tidbit thing, it's it, it, it's by God's hand only, and. It's the way, you know, you can't control what happens to you. You can control how you react to it, right? Um, and that's another lesson that I learned uh, throughout uh, his autobiography. And so he goes to, he goes to basically a government, um, because in that time you weren't allowed to assemble with a group of, uh, of people or have a church uh, because of communism, obviously. And so he, you know, tries to get a document from the, the local government there and uh, the guy over there, who's who's basically like the clerk, um, uh, Luke goes up to him and says, hey, I need a document for this. And at this time, he's sick, you know. Um, and this guy says, what are you going to tell people? He's like, you're so unhappy. You're so, like, your skin's white. You look so sick. Like, what are you going to tell people? Like, you say you're a minister, but you can't say anything to anyone. He's like, isn't there another person? He's like, I'm not going to give you any sort of documents for you to to lead a church. You know, no way. And so he goes home and he and he starts crying. He's like, "Lord, you you put me as a minister. You there was prophecies that said 'Oh, I'm supposed to be a minister,' but you know I'm not. I, I don't have documents. This my 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 path is kind of getting cut short here." And so the Lord reveals a prophetic word to him, and I it, it's incredible to me because his wife Maria also was a prophet or a prophetess, um, and the Lord Lord spoke through him many many times. But, uh, in this time, she, she receives a prophetic word from the Lord and says, my son, you're, you are, as that guy said, you're worn out and you're sick, but I'm going to show you my mercy. And tomorrow you're going to see the work of my hand. You're going to go to the house where I send you and I will do my work. And this is the Lord speaking. So in the morning he got up, he prayed and he was told the house to where he should go. He goes to the house and there's a couple of brothers and sisters, uh, in Christ, uh, assembled there and they start to read and you know they start to pray and he tells them like hey i i I don't really know why i'm here uh the lord just kind of sent me here um but if you guys want you know we can fellowship and and pray and so they all started to pray and through one of the another one of the sister another prophetic word was said that said my son i will now heal you for my work and suddenly a hand touched his insides it felt like a hand, like a hot stream of just water just going throughout his entire body and all of his pain disappeared. Now, mind you, he he'd been suffering with this intestinal pain for a year now. And he rejoiced and just gave praise to the Lord because you know, sometimes we may not think uh God can work in that in those ways, but man, he does work. You know, the healing, I mean that that does come divinely by the Lord, but only if you yeah. they, only if you obey what it says, you know. If
0: it, absolutely, yeah. it,
1: he went to that house not knowing which house to go to, you know, not knowing these people, uh, but he obeyed, and the Lord blessed him. Um, let's see further on. Uh, so in the next section, the first arrest, and this is kind of where his his life started to really uh, start to have a lot of trials. Uh, and he
0: also actually he goes back to that same clerk, right? Once he's healthy. And oh. he's able to obtain the document, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I, I kind of glossed over it. So he goes, he goes back to that clerk and the clerk is like, Hey, uh, I noticed you now you're, now you're looking, you know, better. Yeah. <laughs> like you're, you're, you're looking like healthy. He's like, all right, you know, I'll give you your documents so that you can lead your people. But this clerk, you know, obviously was a Christian, you know, he's just another you know, Slavic Ukrainian guy working in the local government. But it's, it, it it's amazing. Like, like people, people who are non-believers can see on the outside, you know, your radiance, like what's in your heart. Like if you radiate joy and happiness, like people can see that, you know, they, they may not necessarily think, you know, all oh, this guy's Christian, but they know something's different about you. Um, and that's also another important point of like evangelism and showing people uh, what being a Christian is all about. Um, so, yeah, he says, you're, you're, you're so happy and cheerful. He's like, take this and do what you have to do. Uh, so yeah, that, that that's mercy that comes only only from the Lord. Um, so yeah, uh, his first arrest, um, he goes to this one prayer uh, prayer house uh, house of prayer uh, as a service with uh, some brothers and sisters, um, and a vision gets revealed to one of the one of the sisters there, and she says, "Hey Luke, uh, don't be embarrassed, don't you know, don't don't get angry at me or anything, uh, but." God revealed something to me. And I want to tell you, I saw two people came in this vision. Two people came and arrested you. It was also revealed to me on which day this would happen. He said, when your wife's mother dies, in other words, your mother-in-law, on that day, you're going to be arrested. Now, his wife wasn't present at the service. But, you know, some of the friends left and they continued to talk after the vision. And he really started to think about, um, man, what does this mean? So the following night, he has a dream, right? He comes to a house uh, for for a service where he usually goes, right? And he goes to the seat that he usually goes and sits at, right? Uh, but he sees someone is sitting there, and it's uncomfortable for him to like kind of explain or be like, "Hey, can you leave? You know, it's my seat." so He's like, "You know, whatever, I'll, I'll go to a different seat." But he looks around. And all the seats are full. Like there's literally no no spots for him to uh, to be a part of the service. And so there's this guy who's dressed up really well, and he says, "It's like, oh, come here. I'll I'll show you where your place is. And instantly they're transported uh, to a, a forest. And nearby there's a sand and a stone quarry. And the guy says to him, "It's like this is this is your place. This is where you belong." And so somebody brings him a, a horse. In a cart and he says this is what you're you're, you're gonna be this is your place where you're, you're, you're supposed to be and so he wakes up the next morning he says man that's that's such a strange dream like you know that's what the sister revealed to me the night before and now this dream and so in the morning he didn't mention anything about the dream to his wife he goes and he prays and God reveals a prophetic word to him and says as you saw that place in your dream, that's where you're gonna be, and so that's like confirmation for him, right? Uh, but it, it it's not something to look forward to. Obviously, it's uh, it, it it's almost like a, a sad or a depressed uh, depressed future to look forward to. Um, some years later, in 1933, there's a famine, and as we talked earlier, his father prophesied that there's going to be a famine 13 years later. Well, 13 years later happened and this famine, uh, for those of you know, who, uh, know your Eastern European, uh, history, 1920, 19, 1932 to 1933, there was a big famine in uh, Ukraine and it was called the Holodomor. And basically this was a, uh, it was a man-made famine because the Soviet government basically extracted all the resources and all the food from the, especially from the Ukrainian people, Uh, there was obviously some discrimination, um, but it it was a famine that killed many, many, many people. Um, And on the lower end, uh, I mean, they give a range of, you know, historians and uh, people say how many people died. Uh, On the lower end, about 4 million people died, which was like 13% of the population. And I've seen some estimates up to, you know, 10, 15 million people died. so that this this was a huge huge event, um, and it's crazy to me that God revealed something like a huge event like that to His Father and told them what to expect. Um, man, I mean, you, you you can't make this stuff up. You know, this is yeah. <laughs> this is when you are so in tune with the Spirit and when you're so in tune in obedience to God. That's when He shows you miraculous things. That's when he really tells you how to live your life, what path you should go uh, on. And so, uh, there's a famine, and so his his mother-in-law, you know, his wife's mother, uh, ends up dying, passing away uh, a short time later. And um, he goes to the village council to get permission to, for the for the burial, right? And all of a sudden, two guys come in, and uh, go to this councilman uh, and say, "Hey, do you know this guy, Luke Stepanuk?" And he says, "Yes, I know him." Why? He's like, and the two men are like, or the policemen they're like, "We have a warrant for his arrest." And, and the councilman says, "Okay, uh, I will. I will let him know. And in a couple of days' time, uh, he will meet you at the address that's on the warrant." He's like, "You don't have to go to his house or anything. Um, just, uh, you know, I, I I can vouch for him that he will he will be there." And so Luke uh, comes to the the village council and talks to this councilman. And he says, You know, I received this warrant actually before, uh, but I didn't think much of it. Uh, But now these policemen have come and they're threatening, uh, you know, to take you away. uh, But you have to go. Um, And so he goes um, to his wife finally. He finally tells her, uh, Do you remember there was a word that was spoken um, through a sister? And that said, on the day that your mother died, we'll be arrested. And she says, "Yeah, we." I I I remember you you were telling me that. He said, "Well, um, now 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 the time has come for me for me to leave." Um, and being in that situation, not even you know getting arrested. Okay, that's you know one thing. But leaving a family of uh, I believe it was four or five children in a famine, in a deadly famine that killed. You know, millions of people with his youngest being one year old. I, 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 I couldn't bear that. You know? I, I couldn't mm-hmm. begin to imagine. Um, yeah. And so he goes to the place, uh, summons um, or the warrant, and he goes to the address and they open the envelope and they say, okay, you're, uh, you're, you have to leave for three years. Basically, you're being arrested for three years. Uh, you're deprived of your rights because of your religious beliefs. And so in, in the Russian language, they had a certain word um, and that was a little bit of a translation difficulty, uh, but basically it means a person who is deprived of rights because of the religious beliefs. Um, so he got on the train and went to you know the place where he was uh, told to go. And he went to a military unit there. He found, he, he found the place, went to the headquarters and he went to the, the supervisor. And the supervisor says, evangelist, deprived of rights, you did not want to work on a collective farm. Um, uh, Back then, a collective farm um, was basically, it it was a facet of uh, communism uh, in the Soviet Union. And basically- Like a gulag. Exactly. yeah, (laughs) A a gulag, but a little bit less, how you say, uh, it wasn't more of a prison. It was like you were forced to work there, but technically you were an owner, right? But as we know from communism i mean the, the the ownership of the people didn't really exist you know it was all mm-hmm. authoritarian it was all top level government they owned it but they said "Oh, the people are in control so basically this this collective farm was owned by its members and workers but in actuality it was just another way for the government to to extract resources and money from people but you know they couldn't work it unless they had people to work it so they forced people uh to work on there and so he said you know i I, I've always been working on this collective farm, you know, ever since the first day I was ordered. And he says, yes, I remember, uh, but then I remembered how one day I refused to work. It was on an Easter and I refused to work for one day because it was Easter service. So most of the people that worked on this farm, they worked for seven days a week, uh, right? And so that's why it was very popular for them. or I should say popular, but common for them to have uh, evening services on Sunday. Because they also uh, worked on Sundays, so there, you know, there was no such thing as morning Sunday service for them. It was all always an uh, evening uh, service, and so he refused to work on e- Easter because you know, it was the, the Resurrection Day. Um, and uh, the supervisor says for, to him, "Yes, that one day you should have worked because for missing one day now, you're going to have to work three years for it." And so he goes to his commander uh to now's the commander to roll in it and he starts basically it's forced labor you know it's 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 very difficult labor and so uh, he goes to another supervisor of another department and then he instructed that supervisor instructed an officer a horse and a cart and send him to work and so he took the horse and cart they led him to a place where he had to carry sand and stone exactly what was revealed mm-hmm. In his dream and in the prophecy prior to that. Exactly how it I was portrayed, how God revealed it to him. And so he says he started to weep. I poured this poured the sand. Um, and the officer noticed he's like, I was crying. He's like, well, why are you crying? He's like, uh, you probably remember your home and family. Don't worry, you'll get you'll you'll get used to the work. Uh, and so the the days of the trials begin. Um, and he goes into how he uh left the, the collective farm to see his family. Uh, he talks about a, a situation where he was able to evangelize actually to the commander, uh, through, uh, through a certain situation, um, that God led him. Uh, but I, I won't go into that. Um, let's see. Um, it, yeah, another, another important or, uh, uh, as i mentioned before he he always said the words i asked my father or god to help me accept this trial knowing that it was his will accept this trial knowing knowing that he that that hit it was his will and that was to me that 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 is so edifying to me and it puts things in perspective like man like okay like i got problems at work you know or i got problems in my daily life but this guy had know forced labor for three years had to leave this family with no food for three years and I'm kind of you know sometimes I go through my situations be like man I wish I wish God hadn't put me through this or things and and it's not to downplay it of course you know everybody feels you know those you know distraught or or sadness or depression you know but I mean relatively speaking like I I nowhere near experienced what you know my great-grandfather uh experienced
0: yeah, it's all about perspective and and, like you said, both instances, those big trials in his life, he accepted it as God's will and had faith that he will be delivered from it. And evidently he did and 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 God worked in that way, but that's just crazy to think that we were so caught up in certain things and we're so quick to to lose faith. and it's not even just us. I mean, the even the disciple, Jesus's disciples, uh, lost faith at certain points really quickly, and Jesus had to keep reminding them, no, this is this is what it's this is what it's all about, and um, just to accept that trial in your life uh, as 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 faith is awesome. And this kind of like, uh, I'm pretty sure you're gonna get to this story, which is my favorite story about the the arrest, is when he, ma- he meets that very tough commander, and uh, he gets he gets in trouble and has to they they, they uh, hold him without food for seven days because yeah. of his faith
1: yes exactly so uh that story uh and after i, I tell it so we can go into to uh, another section uh but basically um he the, the commander wanted to basically uh, convert him to to atheism or not Nazism, basically get him to apostatize right and so uh he knows that he was christian and he says you know what uh, you're gonna be put on uh, sand and stone quarry duty during the di- during the day, and then at night you're gonna guard and feed the horses at night, and basically lead them to the forest to feed them and take care of them. Basically, putting them on 24-hour shift uh, for seven days, and in that seven days, he planned to not give them any food at all. Um, so basically. Uh, How the story goes. Uh, After two months, uh, he was guarding the horses, and um, uh, so uh, every night uh, during those nights, um, they would actually have a couple of other guys watch and 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 feed the horses, uh, as it's usually done. And, but this time he had to do it himself for the entire week because it was punishment. And so um, in one morning came, usually those house uh, those horses would be in different areas and different parts of the forest. So those three or four guys uh, had to like round up the horses and usually take a couple hours for them to, to bring the horses back. And by the time they come, uh, they come back to, to the complex or to the farm, uh, it'd be morning. Uh, But the commander sent a couple of these guys to check up on Luke since he was by himself with 120 horses, you know, having to feed him. And they said the most amazing thing happened. Every time we would come up to check, to check up on him, all the horses would be around him, like all 120, not one was missing. It was like somebody had rounded them up all together at one place. And they said, well, we don't know. We don't know how this happened because that's that's not possible for one guy to take care of 120 horses. You know, one horse is kind of hard to, you know, to to lead and take care of. You know, those who are in ranches or know how to take care of horses, 120, uh, that's a lot. Um and so that was that was by God's will, that was by God's hand, that was leading those horses uh for him uh in order to him to share uh the good news to to the commander. Um and so uh He goes on the second day. There's a woman that comes up to him, since he's not being fed food. And the woman says, "Hey, uh, you're looking kind of, you know, like pale. You're looking kind of thin." And he says, "Well, you know, I'm working a lot. It's kind of hot." He didn't tell her anything about the punishment that he was, you know, given. And she says, "Uh "Uh-huh. Why don't you come to my house? You know, I'll I'll give you food. You know, every day around lunchtime. You know, just kind of regain, regain, regain your strength." And that's how he was able to survive those seven days uh, the Lord himself provided uh, for Luke. Um, and so at the end of the seven days, um, it, was, it, it was the most r- miraculous thing. After seven days, the commander goes up to him and says, what are you, some sort of sorcerer? I've been literally working you 24 hours a day and not giving you any food. And you look like, you know, like you've been eating every single day you're not tired he said you know what what's going on and he answers to him the lord is my shepherd and he protects me when i was alone in the forest and he alone had provided and gave me food and he says whoever digs a hole for another will fall into it himself and he said that a couple of times throughout the throughout the biography um and so he tells the commander he's like you know uh your superiors don't know that you did this. Right. And he says, no. And he says, I, I knew that if one horse had just gone missing, that you would throw me into jail. Right. And he said, how did you know? He's like, I didn't tell anyone about this. I didn't, I didn't tell anyone that, you know, if you had lost one horse, I would put you in jail. How would you know? And he said, the one who provides for me reveals things to me. Um, and he said that if the superiors would have heard about this, you would have been in big trouble. And so, you know, he says, okay, well, I'll give you some rest. Uh, I'll finally give you some food and let's have a conversation because I, I'm, I'm at complete shock uh, at how this came to be. And so he started to evangelize to the, the commander and, you know, to God and how he provides, if you put his trust in him. Um, and then he asked, he's the commander asked Luke, he says, do you resent me after this conversation? And he says, no, I have no resentful towards you because I accept everything with love. You wanted to re-educate me and saw that I was firm in my convictions, but I responded with love. And, I, and, and that's a beautiful thing. I mean, there's there's no greater thing than that. You know, I mean, you, you look at that example of Jesus himself, you know, of the people who crucified him, who put him on a cross as he, as he bled and died, but, you know, says father forgive them you know do 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 not hold this against them he was literally dying for their sins and yet they were paying him with evil but he was repaying with love, um and so he was able to evangelize to that commander and that commander started to turn towards christ um that's awesome yeah praise god grueling how
0: such a grueling experience like you said the fact that he accepted that trial in his life and saying that's a that's part of the will of this is god's will I'm not gonna turn from it. I'm gonna accept it. I'm gonna embrace it. and I'm gonna trust in Him, and through through those, I mean, two and a half years imprisonment, that s- rough seven week period, because of that, it, one soul was impacted, and one soul got to see God work firsthand, and and had the opportunity to to turn to Christ. So that's that's just a testament to how how great, uh, just how great God is, and how. How, how much faith we need to have, regardless of what we're going through. It, if it's a tough trial, maybe God's not only working in us through our trial, but maybe working in someone else so that we could be a living testimony for them. So that that was, that was, that's why it was my favorite story. It was so, it was so encouraging to, to read how, how through his life, through his difficulties, other people were impacted.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head that that's, that's, that's really what it was all about. Like, to accept every single thing in your life and to understand that that trial that you're going through, it's, you know, it's, it's not just a thing for you to get through, you know, like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to pass this hail over, but it's something for you to learn from God wants to show you something, but to take it even a step further, it's to evangelize and to show others the love and mercy of Christ. Right. I mean, we, we heard this, uh, the, the stories that, uh, uh on uh, your latest episode, the people who went to uh, the Dominican, uh, which I was one of the members that went with them. And a lot of people shared their testimony and, you know, they, it, it wasn't, it wasn't comfortable for them, but that was something that God had worked in their lives and they were able to share that with someone um, and to show them the love of Christ. And once you do that relation, once you relate to someone, you know, one-on-one, not, Not just kind of explain, you know, theologically or in terms, you know, like higher spiritual terms, you know, those are good things. But being able to relate to someone, be like, hey, this is something that happened in my life, and I would not be able to get through it unless it was God Himself who provided, and that that does miraculous things, you know, and 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 we see that you know happen in 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 the story, Um, and so. Uh, he ends his res- arrest actually eight months earlier when he, um, he goes to another town close by and he has to build a road, uh, that connects two towns, about 80 kilometers long, which I believe is like 50 or 60 miles. Um, there's a guy who comes and asks, Hey, can you give me a ride to this one town? Um, just some random guy. And so that guy comes in the, in, in the cart or whatever, or their wagon. And Luke recognizes who that was. It was that same councilman uh, of his village who said that. Oh, you need to go to this uh, this address on the warrant, right? And he said uh, it was that same chairman. And he said, and, and he explained to him what had happened. How he had been, you know, sent away for three years. Uh, how he had, you know, children at home who didn't have. And he's like, okay, I'll tell you what you do. You you write to the district. Uh, executive Committee, DEC. Um, There's another term for it in, in Russian, but uh, in English, it's DEC. And he said, write to us, and we may decide to release you through some sort of methods. We'll try to talk it out with some people with higher ups and see and see what we can do. And so uh, he writes to the the DEC, and uh, a sister visited one, his wife uh, for a service and God gave a prophetic word to write to the DEC and you will be successful. Basically, God saying, hey, do this and you're gonna succeed. And so he wrote you know, in the letter, uh, the the situation, he had submitted and left. And his wife went back there about 12 times before they finally gave her the answer that he uh, was able to be released. Um, And so he ended his sentence about eight months earlier. so, yeah, I mean, God puts us through trials sometimes, and we may think s- something is going in a certain direction. Uh, but if you stay faithful and remain true to the word of God, um, God, will, without a doubt, will provide for you uh, more than enough uh, through that trial. Um, so, yeah, moving on uh, to the next section about war. Um uh, he he has a dream that uh, he has two dreams actually. He has one dream about two cows basically, that two cows were fighting and one cow was fat and it had come from Germany. Another another cow was a little bit thinner and it came from Moscow uh, and when they fought, the fat cow from Germany overcame the, the thin one and drove the one back to Moscow um, and he told the dream to his family and Through interpretation he was able to understand that that war that there's going to be war with germany and this was two months before the start of the war so 1940 1939 two months prior to the start of war he has this dream and uh the next night he has another dream that he's laying down on on the ground with with wounds in his shoulders and that he's on the ground in extreme pain and there's other people around him that are seriously injured uh, he couldn't see their faces, but uh, he could hear uh, their agony. And so a short time later, a couple months later, um, the war begins and all his dreams come true. Um, he goes into hiding, uh, basically, with his with his family, uh, or they try to go to different areas and towns in order to escape the fighting. Uh, because, you know, Ukraine was a highly fought over area in World War II. And so... Uh, They went away to another village, a little bit further away, for two weeks, and they come back to their house, and they said, "If we had not left our house, we would have been killed, Uh, because they saw the house, and the house was um, a a bomb had dropped on the house, and half the house was demolished." Um, So that's that's another way God moved and worked in their house or in in their lives uh, in order to protect them. Um, So time passes. And he has the same dream about the cows, right? But this time, two cows come out to fight each other. And now the one from Moscow overcomes the fat one from Germany. And basically, that's interpretation for him saying that, you know, Russia is going to overcome the Germans or the Allies are going to overcome the the, the Axis powers. And so they heard that the Germans were retreating uh, from Kiev or close to Kiev. And there was a battle in his hometown of Kazaty, which is how I pronounce it, for three days. And so his wife and the youngest uh, children go to another town, uh, into hiding. And at this point, he has seven children. So him and the four older children uh, stay near the house. Uh, there's a bunker. Um, so the battle comes basically to their town, and they hear gunshots. You know, this is you're in the middle of a war, right? Um, so they're in the bunker, they start packing their stuff, and the front line starts coming closer and closer, and they think, okay, we got to get out of here because you know, we're gonna get shot, we're gonna get killed. So they get out of hiding, they start collecting their clothes in the house, and one of the soldiers, you know, sees them running and he says, uh, you know, stay hidden, don't don't run because the front line is literally right, right next door. And so they wanted to run to their brother's house, uh, which was nearby. Uh, it was a little bit further away from the battle uh, but it was it was nearby and so they could hear uh, the battle of gunshots and tanks coming closer and closer uh, but one of his sons stayed in the bunker behind so him and and his three um three daughters uh started to run but suddenly he heard a scream one of his daughters fell to the ground and then the other daughter fell to the ground and then the third daughter fell to the ground, the to the ground too And then he fell to the ground because they all had become shot. He got shot twice and once in each shoulder. And each of his daughters uh, got shot in the leg. And so they were all, you know, yelling out of pain and agony. And so the soldiers uh, see this and they say, do not get up, stay hidden. Uh, It's kind of like a field that was there, some grass. Um, But one of his daughters didn't listen. And so she got up. And she started to run again and she ended up getting. Shot leg. Um, and unfortunately um, they all had recovered from their gunshot wounds um, and she did too. But as a result of those gunshot wounds, uh, she was paralyzed for the rest of her life. Um, and you know, my mom told the story, you know, as as, as her aunt grow, grew older, you know, she couldn't walk and it was because of, this this story right here but you know what's interesting uh that i forgot to mention was there was a prophecy that said the sword will pass by four people in this household meaning his household and so later the sword passed by four of them because four of them got shot and so um everything that was shown to him in a dream how he was wounded in both soldier uh shoulders um and how, and how he was in pain and agony and how his three daughters were were wounded too and how the sword had passed by for the people. Uh, everything came true. And he says later, if it is not God's will, not even a single hair on your head will fall. And by saying that, he's basically saying it was God's will for us to get shot. You know, because obviously if, it, if God at least had not allowed it or if it wasn't his will, he would have protected us. And so just, again, accepting that being like, hey, um, you know, getting shot, you know, how 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 must that feel? Um, That was God's God's work again. Um, Let's see. Yeah, there's there's a bunch more stories. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about the the last story uh, about the prophetess.
0: Um, Yeah, let's let's finish off. Obviously, this, is, I mean, even though it's a fifty page book, there's there's so much information and and uh, it actually kind of works out this way because for those of you who listen to this and are encouraged by it, you can actually reach out to Misha uh, for a copy of this and you can you can kind of fill in the the little details that we kind of glossed over. but um, but yeah, I definitely want to finish with this last one uh, after the war after everything had gone uh, by. Uh, because it involves a recurring character, uh, the prophetess who had—correct and correct me if I'm wrong. This is the prophetess that prophesied that he would be arrested from uh, years prior, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you go ahead, but it's, it's that same prophetess.
1: Yeah. So uh, that same prophetess that uh, prophesied that he would be arrested, basically, you know, taken away for a couple years, three years. Um, they go to a service, right, and. Uh, they do the Lord's Supper. Uh, they do the washing of the feet. Um, they take communion, right? And so his wife goes up to this prophetess and the Lord tells her not to wash her feet. And she's like, hmm, that's strange. Like, well, why is God telling me to do that? And so in that moment, her, his wife had a vision about uh, the prophetess's feet. And that it had wounds on it. And so the Lord said again, I forbid you to wash her feet. But she thought, you know, I, this can't be true. Like, what? Well, why? You know, this lady's a prophet. Like, why would I not be allowed to wash her feet? And so she just kind of pushed it uh, beside and said, okay, I'm going to wash your feet. Because that's the right thing to do, right? And so at that time, God said, you washed your feet. And you will have judgment upon you. And so in the morning, they prayed with the family. And there was a prophetic word that was given to the family, uh, to their family when they prayed at the house. God said, for 40 days, your home will be broken because of your disobedience to me. And immediately after this, the day after this, the entire family became sick. The wife, his wife finally confessed, you know, this is because of me. And God is judging our family because I disobeyed. I clearly disobeyed a direct commandment from God. And so they asked grace and prayed uh, for healing for the family. And God gave another prophetic word and said, because of your small family, I will take away the sickness uh, from the father, from Luke, basically. And he's going to work and provide for you and the family and the children. But you will have to bear the burden of the sickness for the full 40 days. And so after 10 days, he regained his strength. He became healed and he went to work, uh, in order to bring, you know, some food and, uh, support the family. And after 30 days, the rest of the family became healthy. So right on that 40 day mark, family became healthy. Um, and so later on, they kind of realized, okay, like what, why were, why was I not allowed to, to wash your feet? Like what was the whole reason for it? So one of the sisters or one of the uh, sisters in Christ in in the church, she had a son who passed away and um, they buried the son. But suddenly that, that, that mother, that sister received the word from that same prophetess, same prophetic word and said that her son is still alive in the coffin and they need to dig him out of the coffin. And so, you know, both of them go to the to the gravesite and they dig up the coffin of the son. They didn't tell anyone else about this. It was just them two. And they went to the, the gravesite. They dug him out, and he was still dead. And the sister, you know, started to tell the prophets, like, you know, what, what's wrong with you? Are you, you you're now preaching falsely? You're now saying false prophetic words. You know, what, what's wrong with you? And so she brought this before the elders of the church, and the church, and she said, "You know, brothers, I've become prideful, prideful with my gift." And I and I thought to myself, "What sort of honor do I have being this prophetess lady? Uh, you know, I'm more of a minister. I should I should take a little bit more of a leadership role. Uh, you know, the the prophetess or the prophecy power has left me, and I want to grow further to God through this uh, minister role, right?" And so later on in, in that village, there was a celebration for families with, with children. Um, it's kind of like a, it, it's like kind of like a village holiday. It's not like a, a federal holiday or whatever, uh, but kind of like a summer festival sort of thing. Um, and so this, this prophetess and her husband went to this celebration and they started dancing. And so this sister joined in, this prophetess lady and her husband started to join in and they were dancing at this you know festival. And so the next day, uh, word had spread that the entire village to the entire village that she was taking part of this, uh, you could say, celebration uh, in this festival uh, by dancing. And so uh, the Lord gave a prophetic word to Luke's wife and said, now I'll tell you what the Lord has told me. He said to me that I should not wash her feet because they will go and dance. So in that vision that the Lord had revealed to Luke's wife before he washed the prophetess feet, the Lord said, they're going to go and dance. And so you should not wash your feet. And so she hadn't revealed that until, until now. And the end of that section, he writes, many people fall because of pride. And we, we can't forget, you know, the words that Apostle Paul writes. Um, And he said that her fall was irreversible. And she did not prophesy again. That's 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 a crazy story. That's a crazy
0: story. That is, that is insane because if you look at the course of events, first you have a prophetess who's reliable in the past, who said everything word for word and it all happened. God was obviously working. And then obviously you have uh, a prophetic word to Luke's wife about why, not why, but the fact that she shouldn't wash her feet. And that just kind of... I feel like there's so much doctrine impacted in this in this one short episode, the fact like doctrine of how we should fellowship with with people who know the truth and reject it, because the Bible has a certain way that we're not you know we're, we're called to break bread with brothers, but if if someone is living in sin, we can't have the same uh, Christian fellowship with them uh, as we are to one another. There's a there's a whole outline that that we're given, so there's that. And there's all obviously pride, you know, pride coming before the fall, where uh, she was not even she wasn't content with with having the gift of prophecy, even though uh, Apostle Paul in First Corinthians First Corinthians 14 talks about how prophecy is the most cherished of mm-hmm. gifts to have, the one yeah. that that he, his personal favor that he he you know he was praying for, and that wasn't enough for her, and she wanted uh, leadership, administration, obviously uh, something that was more of the man's role. Uh, And I'm not being. This is not a misogynistic comment here, people. This is what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was seeking something that was out of God's design. And then, um, and then, uh, and the last thing, which is truly sickening, was the the nature of that false prophecy that she gave to that to that poor woman who lost her son. uh, To to go. uh, I mean, you don't. I'm not going to sit here and, and and document through every single prophecy I've ever heard of, but when it talks about resurrection of a certain dead person, I don't know. It kind of, it kind of reminds me of something that happened a couple years ago at a certain big church and that, that, that yeah. it, it's not a good vibe. It's not a good vibe. And it's, it's, it's definitely uh, not coming from, it's coming from somewhere else and, and not from God. And it's sad to see that she fell from grace and, and, um, it was irreversible it shouldn't prophesy again and and it's it's so interesting how this all happened not only not only does it happen now but it happened all back then but this is why i i wanted to talk like you know talk about the story because it was cra- it's just crazy how how much is how much how much is uh, compacted in this in this short story
1: yep yeah exactly i mean there's there's nothing new under the sun right i mean yeah it whatever happened before could happen the same way or you know it may look a little bit different but uh, at the core of it, it's, it, it's the same, you know, uh, yeah. Second Corinthians four, seven says, well, we have this treasure in earth and vessel earth and vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And I feel like in that story, um, especially in a similar, uh, you just mentioned about the church a couple of years ago that had a similar situation, you know, God cares about where your heart lies. If you think, and, and, you know, I'm sorry to say this, but some people believe that that power is within them. If you believe that the power is with, with within you, basically coming from you and not from God, or using God's power in a way that is edifying or to show off, then God's definitely not going to move. He's not going to bless mm-hmm. that. And you can see, especially she had a fall like that. Like, you know, she she tried to do something on her on her on her own on her own dime on her own power,
0: and God said. This is not from me, you know. I, I don't bless this. And and on that note, I love that this episode serves as a as a juxtaposition of of everything that Luke lived for. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you have a, a young a child or a son dying. Um, if if you go and you, if it happened to Luke, what would what would have Luke said? Luke would have said that, you know, this is God's will. This is another trial in my life, and this is God's will. We accept that and that in having that attitude having that perspective basically like you said takes the power away from us it's not our own power by, it's not our own strength but is it is Christ's strength in us that works mm-hmm. god's strength yeah. in us that works and in trusting him in no matter what no matter what situation we're in is is what where we're, we're truly going to see uh those results so uh, not only was it so compacted with, with, with certain things but it it was a it was like a, a like a like a parallel not a, necessarily a parallel, but like this polar opposite um, characteristic of what Luke would have responded to in, in that particular situation. But I don't know. I thought that was uh, <laughs> super interesting uh, here on my part. Exactly. No.
1: And and honestly, I think the biggest thing. I, I mean, we're what he's saying is not like, oh, I'm gonna accept God's will. You know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna suffer quietly. You know that's that's definitely you know not what is being said here. You know you 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 see this in 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 his life. You know when he went through arrested and had to work in uh, forced labor. You know he wasn't like, well I'm just gonna lament or I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sulk all day because oh oh well God's will. You know that is definitely not the point here. It's to to accept that God puts you in certain positions in order to accept it and grow from that. You know and it takes a certain amount of spiritual discernment shall i say to understand what god wants you to do and in what situations right um not like this one prophetess lady who said um well you know this is god's will uh i want god wants this to be done she could have used the name of god but that discernment was not there you know uh the spirit definitely would have said hey this is not something that you should be prophesying this is not something that, that, that God wants. And so I think that was huge for him. Maybe, you know, he himself didn't even, uh, like know that as much, but throughout his entire life, discerning, um, where God wants him in his life, uh, what actions yeah he should take place in, you know, or what, 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 how she, he should evangelize to other people. Um, and I feel like that's that's kind of lacking in, in today's day and age, you know, um, definitely hey, gifts, gifts is a thing, you know, prophecy, vision, dreams, hey, you name it. I, I, I totally believe it, you know, um, but some of us kind of put our emphasis on those gifts instead of bringing the glory back to Christ. Right. Cause that's exactly mm-hmm. what those gifts are for.
0: Those exactly, gifts, yeah.
1: th- those gifts are not to, um, they're, they're not, to show, you know, oh, God does this or this is a gift that he gives to me. Look at this power I can show. But it's always to lead people back to Christ. Like, you know, God's grace uh, is sufficient. God's, God, God is sovereign. God, God's word is the life source um, and the source of survival for your life. You know, that's, that's what you need. Um, and gifts is just another avenue that God chose to bring glory back to him. Um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, and uh, obviously there's there's a couple other things. I mean, we we cover the gist of it, the main points uh, in this autobiography. The rest of the, the autobi- autobiography is basically a couple of um – just episodes here and there where God worked in miraculous ways and there's also at the end um an account from a brother who who had direct contact with your great grandfather who worked with him in ministry and he kind of uh talks about uh you know he and him and his wife a little bit there but um yeah a couple a couple other things uh that that we didn't kind of talk about that are really encouraging and if, if, if you want to get one of these copies uh, you'll look forward to is uh, just him just going through constant of persecution as a minister uh, because he was not registering to the, the government and um, I mean that's you know, at the time obviously you have communism over there but uh, watch out because that's going to happen to us very soon we already saw what happened in Canada um, You know they're they're, they're a little uh, more strict than we are over here in, in the US but it's all going to come soon they're going to want control over the churches they want their own agendas being taught so uh th- that's that and then also another really encouraging part that we kind of glossed over that you can read is um, basically while he was gone for 3 years the how how uh, his wife and the small children survived through the famine and how they literally got to certain days where they ran out of she ran out of food and when they gave, she gave them lunch and then at dinner, when the kids asked for food. She she had nothing for them, so they went to bed hungry. She prayed through the night. She and then God provided each and every single day on multiple occasions. So that that's really encouraging uh, for that. But um, Misha, thank you so much for for being on here, taking your time, for sharing this. Thank you for agreeing to just opening up uh, th- this chapter of your great grandfather's life to to all those who are listening and all those who were encouraged and edified by this. Um, if they do want to, so. I'm not sure how many copies you have or what your plan, what your distribution plan is, but uh, if they want to obtain a copy, um, how can they, uh, do so?
1: Uh, basically just shoot me a DM on Instagram. Um, um on Instagram, my handle is uh, Mike Natty. That's G N A T Y. Uh, so my first you know, name, Mike Natty and, uh, just shoot me a DM. I mean, you can also send me an email or, you know, they could talk to you, uh, you, know, you have direct access to me so um but yeah I mean I I, I kind of order them in batches as per you know how people want them uh so sometimes I'll order more and less but um but yeah just just let me know I'm pretty good with shipping so honestly like uh it, it it's something that you should have and honestly it's a short read so um but yeah
0: yeah absolutely so I'll I'll, I'll tag you in there uh, they can have access to you uh regard to to, uh, get that if they want to. Uh, also, uh, to make things a little easier, if any of you, uh, are Southern California residents and you'd like to, uh, you know, borrow my copy to, to read it. It's, it's a short 50 pages long. It's a couple hours read, uh, reach out to me and I I can, I can lend it to you to, to read it. And then, um, we can just kind of distribute it that way too, uh, to make it easier. Uh, maybe, maybe you're waiting on a batch to come and then, uh, you know, people are waiting. So that's also an option. You can reach out to people who already already have the copies and then you can uh, read the entire thing, Um, not only the things that we summarized, but uh, also the details that we kind of glossed over over there. But uh, Misha, thanks, man. Thanks for being here. I appreciate you, uh, all the the work uh, that you've done in putting this together and uh, I just uh, you know pray that God just continues to bless you in this work and uh, all the work that he's going to do in you.
1: Yeah, man. I appreciate and honestly, all all glory goes to Christ. Honestly, this that's the whole reason why I translated it. it's it's to edify other believers and show a story to, to non believers. Like, um, and a small thing like, I, you know, I'm not charging for anything for this. So, people have been asking, "Hey, how can I support this? Can I donate?" You know, sure, I'll, I'll accept. You know, people are giving donations, but uh, I'm not really putting a price tag on it. So, uh, like like Marcus said, you know, if, if you want one, just let me know. Uh, but thanks again to Marcus, uh, may God bless you and continue to, to, to help this podcast grow. it, it, It reaches a lot of people. And honestly, through medias like book and, and, you know, podcasting, like sometimes we don't see the other end of, of people like what they listen to and what they read and it can literally have a huge impact. So, uh, yeah, God bless you too, man.
0: Thank you, man. I appreciate it. God bless you, brother. And uh, thank you guys for listening out there, for taking the time to continue to support this podcast. Uh, just a couple of last minute announcements. Uh, you can follow us for any and all updates on our Instagram account, at The Potter's House. Uh, you can listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, some other platforms as well. Please subscribe. And if you have that purple icon, that podcast app on your iPhone, please uh, subscribe, scroll down, tap the stars. It'll really help the exposure of the show. The more ratings we have, uh, the better exposure we have. And then also, uh, if you leave a written review, I'd appreciate it, and I will read it out loud on the show as well. So thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for all your support, and we will see you next time.